If you join me in Bible study today, please open up, open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. The children of Israel have just been through an awful ordeal. They came to a place of Baal Peor and Balaam really wanted Balak's money. And Balak wanted Balaam to curse the children of Israel and God would not permit it. He said, you cannot curse whom I have blessed. So Balaam, who really wanted that money, came up with the idea of let's just bring pagan prostitutes out and say, if you want to play with the prostitutes, you have to participate in the sacrifices to the pagan gods. And when some of the children of Israel, some of the children of Israel gave in a temptation, then there was a great plague. But... Chapter 4, verse 4, makes a very important point. And it's one that I hope we never, ever forget. It says, But you who held fast to the Lord, that is, those who did not participate in the sexual immorality and the pagan idolatry, you who held fast to the Lord, your God, are alive today, every one of you. Everyone. How many of the innocents did God strike down into plague? Zero, not to one. What percentage of those who participated in the sin died? Everyone. 100% death rate for those who turned away from God to engage in pagan idolatry and sexual immorality. 100% survival rate for those who stayed true to God. What principles should we learn from this? Since the book of Romans says the Old Testament is here for us to learn from. If you want to die, participate in pagan idolatry. And if you don't, leave it alone. Don't walk in sin. Let's make it better than that. If you want to die and go to hell, <laughs> <Okay>. participate. <laughs> okay. Think back to what Abraham said. Go to Genesis chapter 19. Think back to what Abraham said. When God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapter 19. This is where Abraham bargains with God. In fact, we'll start in 18. We'll just do the short version. Verse 23. And Abram came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? What's the answer to that? No. Why then do we keep hearing so many theologians say that there is no pre-tribulation rapture, that God's children have to go through the tribulation and suffer the wrath in penalties and judgments that are going to be poured out in the tribulation period? Does God judge the righteous? as he judges the unrighteous. And that's the point that we learn in Genesis 18 and 19. And that is the lesson that uh, Moses wants us to remember in Deuteronomy 4.4, is that if you walk uprightly before the Lord your God, you have nothing to fear. But if you choose to turn away from God and live in sin, then you ought to be worried. Verse 5, back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5 says, Surely, but it's not surely, just scratch that out. 
It's just the word see. Look and see. I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. The sea is, consider Baal Peor, and the 100% fatality on those who turned away from God, and the 100% safety for those who stay true to God, and decide, what do you want to do? When you go into the land, Moses says, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as. Just as means I didn't change a word. I didn't sit down and make up my own list and say, boy, they're going to love these. (laughs) He taught them just as God commanded him, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. No change. So, From that, what should the children of Israel deduce? If we go in and follow these commandments, we will live. And if we turn away and rebel against God, we will die. That's an important lesson for today. The Feast of Trumpets is coming in just a few weeks. Is this the day that we're going to face judgment? If so, how do you want to stand before the Lord? In righteousness? Or in filth. Verse 6. Therefore. You know what therefore means. Let's draw a conclusion. Therefore be careful to observe them. In other words you're smart people. You know whether you want to live or die. And Moses has just set before them life and death. And what does he say in Deuteronomy 30? Choose life. Therefore, be careful to observe. What does it mean to be careful? Pay close attention. Pay close attention. Is it enough to just, well, I'll wing it? No, we should study to show ourselves approved. Doesn't it say that somewhere in the scripture? Be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So verse 6, when it says, be careful to observe them, it says, guard them and do them. Treat them as something special, something to be carefully observed. And wisdom and understanding, it tells us, comes from understanding the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God that we call the Torah. What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Let's go to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4. What does Hosea mean? Salvation. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. When Israel turned away from God and embraced pagan idolatry, rejected God and his commandments, tragedy came, just as God had said it would. And in verse 6 it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Does that mean they couldn't calculate The square footage inside a, you know, you guys know, I don't even need to finish that. (laughs) What knowledge is it talking about? 
Knowledge of God which comes from the Torah. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected me. No. It says because you've rejected knowledge. By rejecting knowledge, God says, you have rejected me. He says, I will also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. Because you've forgotten the Torah of your God. What verse in Deuteronomy does that tie directly back to? Deuteronomy 8 verse 11. Let's go look at Deuteronomy 8.11. But don't lose your place in Hosea. Hope I said that soon enough. Yeah, not so much, okay. Deuteronomy 8.11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. That was the Pharisaical problem. They said the Lord is our God. They believed they were on the track to heaven, but they rejected his commandments. In the eyes of God, if you have rejected his commandments, you have rejected God. That was the problem of the Pharisees. Go back to Hosea chapter 6. <clears throat> Hosea chapter 6 gets fulfilled in the day of the Lord, when Messiah has brought his kingdom to this earth. And in verse 3, as soon as Messiah sets up his throne, here is Israel and the rest of the world at the feet of Messiah. It says, let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. What knowledge is that? We know from Hosea 4.6. The Torah, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. Why would Israel come to the feet of Messiah, who abolished the commandments, to learn the commandments? Because he never abolished the commandments. That's right. Isaiah 2. Let's go to Hosea 2. Isaiah 2. It tells us in black and white. He did not abolish the commandments. Never. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the, if your Bible still says latter days, fix it. It's end of days, the achrit hayamim. That the mountain of the Lord's house, what's a mountain in prophecy? A kingdom. The messianic kingdom shall be established on the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills. So his kingdom will be the empire over all other kingdoms. That's why in Revelation 19 he's called what? King of kings and Lord of lords. And all nations shall flow to it. Which nations? All. all. Many people shall come and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. What is the house? It's the temple. Who sits on the throne in the temple? Messiah does. Yeshua does. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Did Messiah abolish the commandments? He absolutely did not. You need further proof? Go to Micah 4. Micah is short for Michael. Michael, who is like God. 
So Micha just means who's like. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. They're going to read so much like Isaiah 2, you're going to think you forgot to turn the pages. <clears throat> Including the same error you got to correct. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, no, it's the end of days, that the mountain of the Lord's house should be established on the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills. <clears throat> And people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. Brought as Zion, the Torah shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Slow down just a little bit, because I can't even keep notes. That's funny. Okay. All righty. Please. Bottom line is this. <laughs> if, if you don't like keeping God's commandments here on earth you're not going to like the kingdom anyway yes ma'am it seems to me and please correct me if I'm mistaken but if Israel had followed Adonai and, done, and been obedient and stayed in the land then probably the nations would have looked at them and said, wow, what, you know, what's going on here? We need to join in. This is really a blessing. This is and that's exactly what God had planned. If they would have been obedient, they would have been blessed beyond measure. The other nations would have been jealous and said, we want to serve that God too. And the knowledge of God would have gone throughout the world. And then Yeshua came and sacrificed and the new covenant was established. And yet Christianity kind of turned our back on a chance to do it again. Yeah, a, a chance to do it again, and you know, with the Jewish believers or whatever terminology you want to messianic believers. And yet, that was all messed up, and all this stuff happened. All this horrible, terrible, disastrous evil. And that's why the tribulation's years. coming. Yep, you're right. The last two thousand years could have been beautiful. Yes. But man. But I'm, I'm glad Nancy said that because I had made a note here just when we covered Deuteronomy 4 6. And that's what it says keep and do uh, them, keep the wisdom and understanding in sight of the nations. And I thought if we're not practicing, that, that's what he was saying. He was admonishing yeah. us to. Yeah. To and what does he tell us as believers to be? The light and the salt. And what did we do in the 4th century? We turned to pagan idolatry, turned away from the commandments of God, and taught the world what? Yeah. All right, have your notes caught up? If you come to him and then turn away, oh, yeah, that's bad. It's a bad day. Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so, yeah, I don't yep. expect the, the, this nation to survive. So let's go to Leviticus. Why do we not see American end times prophecy, huh? Yeah, we know why. Leviticus. Let's go to Leviticus. Let's go to chapter 23. I like that one. Leviticus chapter 23. 
Let's just think about this chapter for a moment. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, God tells us he put the sun, moon, and stars up there in part so that we would know the timing of these appointed times of the Lord. These appointed times of the Lord, moedim, means appointments. Appointed times that God would keep with mankind physically, bodily, through Messiah Yeshua. In either the first coming or the second coming. God gives us specific days on which things are going to happen. And tells the children of Israel to rehearse these every year. So that the knowledge will permeate the world. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Passover, Messiah died. For 1,500 years, they've been killing the lamb on Passover at 3 p.m. What did John call Messiah? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was buried at unleavened bread. He was raised at the Feast of first fruits. The Holy Spirit came 50 days later at Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, whatever you want to call it. And then Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22 we have a verse that looks like it's completely out of context. Like somehow the word processor made a boo-boo and took a verse from someplace else and just dropped it in here. But it's not a boo-boo. Verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, God looks at the fall festivals bringing in people to the kingdom of God as being like the harvest. And the harvest in Israel was in three parts. You've got the first fruits, that's Messiah. And those in Matthew 27 who arose when he did, came out of the grave after he came out of the grave, to be a witness and testimony to all Jerusalem and to all the world. Because where was all Israel when this <laughs> happened? In Jerusalem to see it. The main harvest comes in Revelation chapter 4. It's described in Isaiah 26, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, John chapter 14, not Matthew 24, 1 Corinthians 15, and Revelation chapter 4. That trumpet's going to blow, we're going to be caught up. Israel has been rehearsing this, practicing this for 3,500 years. And what do we call that trumpet blast? A teruah. A teruah means an awakening trumpet blast. One that calls us all together. Why does it matter to God that we keep these festivals? Is to teach the world. Why did the church stop keeping these in the 4th century? Turn us away from God. Mm -hmm. So if you look at Leviticus 23, how many times in that chapter does God say this is forever? It's in verse 14. Everybody say one. It's in verse 21. Say two. It's in verse 31. Say three. It's in verse 41. Say four. Four times in one chapter, God says forever. How do we know for sure 
that these have never gone away. They've never changed. Because God's word doesn't change, but give me a prophecy. Like around Zechariah 14, 16. So let's go to Zechariah 14, 16. Zechariah 14, 16. Takes place after the tribulation period ends. And Messiah is ruling and reigning on that throne like we read in Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. Zechariah 14, 16. It shall come to pass that everyone who's left of all the nations, what does that word nations mean? The Gentile world, which came against Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles, which is that seventh of the seven appointed times. Didn't Paul tell us to quit keeping these festivals? He told the Corinthians to keep it. Go to 1 Corinthians 5. You read a commentary one time that said that just means metaphorically. I don't know how you metaphorically keep a feast either, but I have a feeling that come judgment day, he may have a different attitude. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Some of us are already lumpy, but that's not the point. Since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. What feast? Passover. Were the Corinthians Jewish? No, 1 Corinthians 12, 2 says, You know you were Gentiles, led away to whatever false god. So why did Paul teach them to keep these festivals? Because they are for everyone. Go back to... Is he talking about in this... All the first Corinthians is about the Passover. Just the one coming up. Yeah. So it was that one coming up, and then we can go to all the other scriptures to talk about the others, but this was that one in particular because that was the one that they've been doing wrong. They've been doing it, but they've been treating it like a feast of Bacchus. At a feast of Bacchus, you come and stuff yourself with food and wine, and then you go out to the vomitoriums and stick feathers down your throat to throw up so you can go back and eat and drink more. And he says, that's not the way. That's what you used to do, but that's not the way you keep Passover. Information overload. Sorry. I mean, turn to 1 Corinthians 11. Paul may have put it a little more delicately. <laughs> yeah, he said, if you're going to gorge yourself, eat at home. Yeah, I'm not making it up. But in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, verse 2, it says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions. That Greek word is parodesis. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew word halakah. He's taught him to keep halakah the way we walk, the customs and commandments of the scriptures just as I delivered them to you but then he goes through and says yeah but you're doing this wrong you're doing it but we need to fix it 
So back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. No more talk about feathers. You don't even have to put feathers in your notes. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 7. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him. What causes God to be so near is their faith being worked out in obedience. But the point is, is to make the other nations jealous. To make the other nations want a relationship with God. Is there a scripture that says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord? God is the God of all nations. And Israel was to be a teaching point to show the rest of the nations how blessed it is to follow the Lord our God. Let's go to Psalm 33, verse 12. Psalm 33, verse 12. In Psalm 33, notice it's all about verse 3. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy, which is a teruah. It's about the rapture and the resurrection. It's about living in the presence of the Lord our God. And in verse 12 it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Our nation was founded upon godly principles, but have we held to them? We've turned away from them. Does God's blessing remain once you turn away from God and walk down that dark Broad road, I'm afraid not. Let's go to Deuteronomy 31. What's the cure for our nation? Repentance, return. Oh, that's a good word. What is that word in Hebrew? Teshuva. It means God bless you, the repentance, the turning back to God. That word teshuva applies to a 40-day period in the year that begins Sunday and goes for 40 days until the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. Messiah was baptized on that first day of Elul, that first day of teshuva in Matthew chapter 3. And then he fasted for how many days? 40 days. At the end of the 40 days at Yom Kippur was when Satan came and tempted the Lord. The Jewish sages say that's the day that Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden was on Yom Kippur. They were tested and failed. Messiah was tested and prevailed. Deuteronomy 31 beginning in verse 16. Deuteronomy 31 beginning in verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers. What's this mean? He's going to die. And his people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them. 
The Lord's telling Moses what? They're going to turn away from me. Again. They're going to embrace pagan idolatry. It says, and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day. <clears throat> oh, wait a minute. In that day. That refers not just to 3,000 years ago, but also in the day of the Lord. Why do the unsaved Jewish people go through the tribulation period? It's to bring them to repentance, exactly. And I'll forsake them and I'll hide my face from them and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not amongst us? What is that? That in the time of tribulation they begin to realize God's not among us because we sinned. So what do we need to do? To repent. Verse 18. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they've done and that they have turned to other gods. Now therefore write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel when I brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey of which I swore to their fathers. And they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. Then they will turn to other gods and serve them. And they will provoke me and break my covenant. We're going to stop there because we're going to go back to Deuteronomy 4. And God's going to tell us, yeah, but they'll return. They will return. Yes, sir. It said write down the words of this song. Yeah. Is that the reason that the, the guys in the synagogue sing the Torah? No. Why do they sing the Torah? Because how is it easiest to memorize a long document? You sing it. It's never easy. <laughs> never easy, no. But that's the way they memorized the scriptures from the ancient of times. They didn't all have copies, but they would come together as children and they would start singing it together until they had learned to sing it all. Do all religions do that? No. I'm only familiar with the cantor doing that, you know, and you got the muzim, what do they call it, in, in the uh, pagan religion that sings from the tower to wake people up. Yeah. The, uh, the singing, the scripture, to me, is interesting because even when we do the bar mitzvah, the portions are sung, yeah. chanted. Because that's the way it was done historically. Today, we all have Bibles. So we can sit down and we can read it. You don't have to memorize it as much as, as they did. As they did. Okay. Oral, oral culture. Yeah. Oral, oral learning. Oral culture. So back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're up to verse 8. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I said before you this day. What made the nation great was their faith in God and their obedience to the statutes, commandments, judgments that God gave. This was to show the rest of the world 
what a righteous nation could be and how blessed it could be and what benefits there could be in it so that they would want to do it too. But the law guides a great nation. Let's go to Psalm 119. This verse you probably all memorized by now. If not, let's sing it together. <laughs> Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. What does that mean? Does God's righteousness ever change? No, it does not. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your law, your Torah, your commandments, statutes, and judgments is truth. What does the word Torah actually mean? Instruction. The commandments, statutes, and judgments of God are his instructions in righteousness. Where have you seen those words before? Instruction and righteousness. What's that? The New Testament somewhere. The New Testament somewhere. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 142. Yeah, I missed that too. Verse 142. Thank you. If I get going too fast, just tell me to settle down. We have till the Lord comes. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. The word Torah literally means instruction in righteousness. Remember, all the T's in the New Testament are together in an alphabetical order. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Every scripture says is given by inspiration of God, but that does not convey the Greek. The Greek is Theonuptos. What does Theo mean? God. And Nuptos means breathed. God breathed. So what scripture is, according to the Bible, are the words that came out of the mouth of God. Remember what Messiah said in Matthew 4.4. Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what this verse 16 is referring to. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's what the word Torah means. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many of you were taught growing up that Paul says we're not supposed to keep the commandments? But where is that in scripture? We just finished Romans. That's where it's supposed to be. But did we find it? We did not. Let's look also at Malachi. Or if you prefer Malachi. But it's really Malachi. Chapter 2. What does Malach mean? It means messenger. And the E at the end is my. So it's my messenger. Or my angel. You can translate it either way. Malachi chapter 2 verse 7. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of Torah. And people should seek the Torah from his mouth. For he is the messenger, the malach. Of the Lord of hosts. So the priesthood was supposed to be teaching the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God to the people. 
year in and year out. Were all of the priests on duty in the temple at the same time? No, except for the feast times when all Israel had to be there anyway. The rest of the time they were scattered throughout the nation so that they could teach in all the little villages the commandments, statutes, and judgment of God. Verse 8 says, but you have departed from the way. Remember John 14, 6, the Lord said, I am the way. You've departed from the way and have caused many to stumble at the law. How did they cause people to stumble at the law? Oh, they're teaching for money. They're corrupting it. Oh, boy. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. In my opinion, one of the worst things the church ever did was to pay preachers. Because now you're not free to preach the word of God because if people don't like it, then you lose your job. In your house, and 401k, and your car, your airplane too. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 7, verse 12? It says, therefore the law, the Torah, is holy. In the commandment holy and just and good. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses tells the people that following God's commandments, statutes, and judgments make a nation great. There's nothing in the New Testament that says anything to the contrary. Back to Deuteronomy 4 9. Only, which is kind of like saying, remember this one thing above all. Only take heed to yourself. What does it mean to take heed? To be careful, to watch. Take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. What have their eyes seen? They saw the ten plagues in Egypt. They saw their backs at the Red Sea and God parted the Red Sea and led them through on dry land and drowned Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. Fed them with manna from heaven each and every day. Except there was no manna on Shabbat. So what happened the day before Shabbat? God provided a double portion. They were thirsty, so God provided water out of a rock. They came to the land of the Amorites, which were ruled by giants, and God slew them and brought them safely through. How many soldiers did Israel lose? Not a one. So these are the things that the children of Israel he's speaking to have seen with their own eyes. They heard God's words from his own mouth. They saw Mount Sinai on fire. They saw the land tremble when Aaron threw in the gold and a golden calf jumped out all on its own, if you believe that version. <laughs> God opened the land and all those who worshipped the beast fell into it and the land closed back up. They saw this with their own eyes. But how much longer will these people who've seen it with their own eyes live? Just a generation, right? Right? So he says in verse 9, 
lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your children's children. It says your grandchildren, but there is no word for grandchildren. It's the children of your children. Meaning every generation, make sure you teach your children and their children in case they don't. To make sure that the knowledge of these things never ceases to be passed from generation to generation. If the knowledge had been passed from generation to generation with no break in it, would Israel have ended up going into captivity? No. Would scientists, quote unquote, have started teaching people we come from monkeys? Maybe they do, but, well, no. No, even they don't. Okay. But he says, don't forget to teach it to future generations. How many of you would have been impressed if you were at Mount Sinai, saw the mountain on fire, and heard God's own voice from the mountain? Would you have been impressed? Yeah, I would too. But the future generations weren't there. But if they hear from Papa and Grandpa that they were there and they saw it and they heard it, it makes it real to them. Was the Torah the only record of all those events? Did, did no one else keep a record? Um, I haven't seen all the ancient records, but... I mean, he's telling them to remember it and all that. You would think that others besides just his writings would have put these things down to pass on. Uh, and I just don't know if they did or didn't. But you know, um, my understanding, like, for example, Egypt would not have admitted the plagues and all that kind of stuff. They would have turned it so everything looked good, you know. <coughs> or the Josephus, Pharaoh, all that, because he's supposed to be a god. So right. You can't. Josephus, the historian, doesn't he record a lot of this? Yeah, but that's long after the fact. I think oh, talking, Doc is right? talking about no, contemporaneous. But how many contemporaneous writings have survived from that day? There are a lot. But the Torah has really survived, and I mean, you know, God's behind that. Yeah. But you're just, I'm just thinking, okay. You know, he says, what other great nation has done, has these, okay, Hammurabi's code, you, you have other nations with nice codes, but no other nation comes anywhere near, well, Hammurabi's code's pretty good, but the, uh, you know, the, the influence that Moses had by recording God's literal sayings was um, infinitely more beneficial. Yeah. Than even the well-intentioned codes of men, the Babylonian code, the Hammurabi code, all the others. True. So it's just—it's really interesting that we don't have uh, Janice and Jamboree's account. <laughs> <laughs> Who were Janice and Jamboree's, by the way? Do you know? Were they were guys, the sons of Balaam. There's some guys Ooh, got in trouble. <laughs> yeah, they were the sons of Balaam. Yeah, these are kind of contemporaneous events going on. But yeah, there are a lot of ancient writings that still exist, but they're not readily available. Yeah. Ma'am, ma I, I found an Associates for Biblical Research on YouTube. Yeah. 
they have some good information about the recent archaeological discoveries in Egypt that and they talk about the associations of some of the pharaohs in the time of the Hebrew exodus. Yeah, and they have found the tomb of Joseph, the pyramid for Joseph that was in Egypt. Uh, yeah, associates yeah. for biblical research. Yeah. In the last 50 years, there have been a lot of teachings that, well, there's no external evidence that this ever happened, and archaeologists uncover archaeological evidence that that happened. So, but that's been recently. For instance, I was in Israel when they found the tomb of Isaiah. And buried with Isaiah was a complete copy of the book of Isaiah in stone in bas relief. Up to then, modern scholars said Isaiah must have been written by three different guys over three different periods of time because God can't tell the future like that. But when they find the tomb and in stone is the entire book, then they go, well, gee, you know. Okay, but let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 10. Especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb. When the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words. The commandments in the Hebrew are always referred to as words. Devarim, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. What does that mean? All the days they live on the earth. It means forever. It means in this life and in the world to come. So it's an Hebraic way of saying it never ever ends. So God's commandments will never end. And that they may teach their children. Didn't we see that in verse 9? Teach the children. In verse 10, teach the children. In Deuteronomy 6, teach the children. In Deuteronomy 31, teach the children. Why did Israel begin the synagogue system? Do you know when? It was after the Babylonian captivity to teach the children because they said... We went into captivity because we forgot the commandments of God because fathers were not teaching their children. So they set up the synagogue system so that everyone could come in and learn all the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God even if their parents had never taught them. And they said, in this way, we'll never go astray again. How'd that work out for them? Yeah. Because what started happening in the synagogues? They stopped teaching the Bible and they started teaching the commentaries. What did we do in Christianity? Most seminaries don't teach the Bible, they teach the commentaries. Those people who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Okay. In verse 10, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words. The Hebrew word there is devarai. Devarai. Which is, the AI ending is my, and it's plural, my words. 
Go back to Leviticus 23 for a moment. Leviticus 23. Verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, What's that word saying? It's a quote. The word Lord there is the tetragrammaton. It's our Messiah Yeshua. Spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, not to Israel. To the children of Israel. That's a broader term. Israel came out with a great mixed multitude. They're referred to collectively as the children of Israel. And say to them, the feast is not feast, it's the appointed times of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Holy is set aside to God. A convocation is a gathering together to rehearse. These are my appointed times. So he calls in the appointed times of the Lord. These are my appointed times. Just as he says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 10, these are my words or these are my commandments. They belong to him. I point that out because in the Talmud you will read, the Jewish sages said, God gave us the Torah, now he has no say about it, we'll do with it what we want to do. And therefore started saying that what we decide takes precedence over the words of God. What happened in the 4th century, they say our doctrine, our proclamations take precedence over the word of God. 4th century, is that what they call in history the Dark Ages? No. No, no but that's where the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Laodicea and those things come. Where the church said, you're forbidden to keep the Sabbath, you must keep Sunday. You're forbidden from keeping Passover, you must do Easter, etc. All that came about in the 4th century. You're forbidden to circumcise your children. Forbidden to circumcise children, etc. Yeah. Can't keep any of the feast days. Can't keep any of God's commandments. You can only keep the Pope's commandments. Okay. Matthew 4.4. 4. I've only mentioned it three or four times already. But we haven't turned to it yet. I want you to see the words. What color they are. Messiah quotes this from... Deuteronomy. But he answered and said, he answered who? He answered Satan. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the way God describes the commandments are the words or my words. Let's look also at Psalm 89, verse 34. Before the Lord comes, we should all have t-shirts with this written on it. So we're not going to get it made today? Not on Shabbat, nope. I mean tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> Psalm 89, verse 34. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. What does that word, word mean? Commandment. Exodus 34, 28. 
Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. So he was there. You're not there yet. I will take a sip of my soda. So he, Moses, was there on Mount Sinai with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. You see that? The Hebrew does not say the Ten Commandments. It says the Ten Words. Aseret Hadevarim. So every time you come across where it says the Ten Commandments, the translators are trying to get you to think that's all there are. Is that there are Ten Commandments. We could ignore everything else. Are there just Ten Commandments in the law? When they asked Messiah, what's the greatest commandment in the law, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's from Deuteronomy 6. And your neighbor is yourself. That's from Leviticus 19. So the greatest commandments in the Torah are not even in the ten. But they encompass the whole thing. They summarize it. In those Ten Commandments, five are to show your love to God and five to show your love to the fellow man. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, do you cheat with his wife? Do you steal from him? Do you kill and eat one of his cows when he's not looking? The answer is no. So if you truly love God, will you break Shabbat? No. Will you worship idols? No. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Up to verse 11. Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. You know what the Hebrew words actually say? They stood under the mountain. As if God has lifted Mount Sinai up and they're literally standing under it. And when God tells them the wages of sin is death, can they just see him letting go of the mountain? <laughs> they would get a really quick, firm understanding of what it means to turn away from God. But you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. That is amazing. Fire burns all the way up to heaven, and it's dark. What does fire normally produce? Light. Light. So picture Israel with its back to the Sea of Reeds, which is what Yom Suf really means, not the Red Sea, but the Sea of Reeds. And between Israel and the Egyptian army was a pillar of fire. It shone light on the children of Israel and total blackness to the Egyptian army. That same pillar of fire. Do you think that's what God was trying to show the children of Israel at Mount Sinai? 
is that you can be in the light or you can be in the darkness, but you got to choose. Let's go to Exodus chapter 19. Let's read about this as it happened. In Genesis 1, where he separated the light from the darkness. He separated the light from the darkness. So he had light to one group, darkness to the other group. Yep. There was a separation. Yep. Cool. Yep. God is amazing. Yep. And in Hebrew, it, it does not say, and he called the light. It says he called to the light. Right. And he called to the darkness. Exodus 19, verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day. That third day is called Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. It's one of those appointed times of the Lord. In the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings. That word thunderings in Hebrew is kolot, voices. That is every person at Mount Sinai heard the words of the Lord in their own language. But weren't they all Jews? No, there was a great mixed multitude from where? From all nations. There were representatives from all nations at Mount Sinai. And who heard the words? Everybody. And lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain, literally under it. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. His smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long, it became louder and louder. That amazes me. Have you blown a trumpet? The longer you blow, it doesn't get louder and louder, does it? It gets softer and softer and softer. But now when God blows it, it gets louder and louder. Yes, ma'am? You got right there the smoke of a furnace. Yeah. What is the true word that should be there? Furnace. They didn't have furnaces in that day. Yeah, they did. Did they? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Became louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Who heard the voice? Everybody. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. So God answers first from heaven, then comes down on the mountain. Verse 20, then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. I don't know if I'd have had the courage of Moses or if I'd have started running the other way. You never know how we might have reacted had we been there. But remember, Moses has been up on that mountain to talk to the Lord before. Verse 12. Go back to Deuteronomy 4, verse 12. And the Lord spoke to whom? To you. The people Moses is talking to were there. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. What's the point in that? They can't make an idol that looks like God because they could not see God. Why? God is a 
spirit. What's the spirit look like? We'll find out when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> Saw no form. Let's go back to Exodus 20, verses 22 to 23. Exodus 20, verses 22 and 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. God's a silver or God's a gold you shall not make for yourselves. So anything that you create to say, this is God, you're going to be what? Wrong. You're going to be wrong. Why did the people of the nations make all these idols out of gold and silver and precious stones and wood and things? Because they wanted a God that they could touch, that they could manipulate. Yes, B. Yes, sir. Believe it or not, we're going to get to that in a minute. <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. Do I think that's why Isaiah 52 says that? He was of no comely. That's right. He was not a beautiful man. Messiah was not. Yeah. Yeah, when they, when you see a picture of Jesus, how many of you recognize it immediately? Yeah. That's not Yeshua. It's not. It's a picture of somebody. But you recognize me. The artist who drew the original was in a homosexual relationship with the son of a pope, who later became pope, and that's the image he drew as Jesus was his homosexual lover. And that's what people all over the world look at and go, see that beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus? How many of you have seen Jewish people? How many have blonde hair and blue eyes? And the baby faces and the long-flowing hair. Did Messiah have long-flowing hair? No, the scripture says long hair on a man is... It's shameful. He had a flat top. Flat top? No. Think you're going to find he had black curly hair. But we shall see. But God's going to keep telling us over and over again, you saw no form, so don't make one and say this is your God. Do those words sound familiar? This is your God. That's what they said about the golden calf. We're going to get to that in a minute. And then the two golden calves. The English, where they made the golden calf, says, this is your God. That's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says, these are your gods, plural. Yeah, so they didn't translate that right. But we'll get there. 
Verse 13, I'm sorry, back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, I get easily misled. No, you're not misled. Well, not misled as in incorrectly led, but I chase Ibex. Okay. Verse 13, so he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments. Does not say the Ten Commandments. It says, Aseret HaDevarim, the Ten Words. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Let me ask this. In the Garden of Eden, did he make garments for Adam and Eve out of stone? No, what did he make them out of? Lambskins. What did people use lambskins for other than clothes and things? They used it to write on. Yeah. Scrolls? Yeah, scrolls. Uh-huh, thing, yeah. So why didn't God write the Ten Commandments on papyrus or lambskins? Yeah, written on stone to show that they are for ever. If it was something temporary, he could have used papyrus that would have would have been a lot easier and it would have degraded over a century or more. Just like they found that in Isaiah's tomb. Just like they found in Isaiah's tomb. If it had been written on paper, it would have been long since gone. So why does it tell us? He wrote them on two tablets of stone. Because that's what he did, number one. On number two, so they'd last forever. And number three, who is the stone cut out without human hands? Messiah. Messiah is the word of God incarnate. He did not come to change the word of God. He came to make it fully preached so that you and I could understand what God requires of us. Back to Deuteronomy 4.14. And the Lord commanded me at that time. At that time. That phrase also refers to what? The tribulation period. So yes it happened 3,500 years ago. But it's also going to teach us something about the days that are just ahead of us. Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. Are the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God going to be taught in the kingdom? We saw it in Isaiah 2. We saw it in Micah 4. But in Ezekiel, it tells us more about the commandments. So go to Ezekiel. I'm just giving you time to get to Ezekiel first. Ezekiel 44. Verse 23. Because there's always the possibility, what if God changed the commandments? Well, he didn't. How do we know? Because he tells us. He wrote it in stone. Ezekiel 44, verse 23. And they shall teach my people... Does it say they shall teach the Jews? No. They shall teach Israel. No. Who are they to teach? My people. Talk about a broad term. The difference between the holy and the unholy and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. 
You know what these words unclean and clean are? The very same words from Leviticus 11, Tameh and Tahor, which tell us that pigs are a no-no and lambs are tasty. <laughs> Verse 24, in controversy they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments, which means no bribes, no false judgments. They'll judge it as the Lord told them to. And they shall keep my laws. What do you suppose that word is in Hebrew? My Torah. And my statutes. That's my chukot. The chukot are the commandments that we don't understand why we should do them. If God didn't tell us why murder is bad, do you think we could figure it out? Yes, sir. But why do you sacrifice a red heifer on the Mount of Olives and burn it with scarlet-colored cloth? and hyssop and cedar and then take those ashes and put them into water and take the water and sprinkle it on unclean people so they become clean would you just naturally think to do that here's how we should cleanse everybody no those are statutes and the ancients say why does God give us commandments we don't understand the answer is because the only reason to follow them is faith because he said so. Well, I hear you saying my people my people, my judgments, my Torah, my statutes and we haven't finished the sentence but you're going to say in all my appointed meetings, that's Leviticus 23, what does all mean? Everything. All of them. And they shall hallow Sunday. No. <laughs> My Sabbath. You're right. The word my is used over and over again. God bless you. Because it means they will be teaching the same commandment, statutes, and judgments that we are reading about in Deuteronomy. He wrote them on stone because they're to be forever. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 14. Wait, I see a red one out there. Let's see. Regarding idols, modern Jewish households don't have paintings and sculptures. Is this an example of fences? The answer to that is yes. Verse 14. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. What does that word observe mean? To look at? No, it means to do or perform. So let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Which is where God gives the ten words. And let's read verses 18 to 21. Because there are those who say those Ten Commandments are all God ever intended to be. But the scripture says otherwise. Let's read. Well, how many times did Messiah say you've heard it said? But I tell you it's written. Yes, ma'am. It's so peculiar that the Ten Commandments, they have a problem trying to observe those. But that's not even half of them. Right? So let's read. Let's read why. 
Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, that's the voices, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Which portion of the people heard it and saw it? All of them. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. So why did God not give number 11? Because the people said, please don't let God speak directly to us anymore. You talk to God and tell us the rest. Verse 20 said, And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Let's go to Deuteronomy 18. Absolutely. Uh, were, were they also, were some of them not really clean as they should have been? Or not, you know? Oh, they were not clean as they should have been, that's for sure. In Isaiah chapter 6, what does Isaiah say when he finds himself before the throne of God? He's undone. I'm undone. <laughs> How many of you have heard the song by the guess who? She's come undone. Yeah. What's that mean? She's dead. Yeah. So when he says, I am undone, he means I'm a dead man. Exodus 20. No, you said Deuteronomy 18. Oh, Deuteronomy 18 then. You're right. <laughs> Thank you. I got you all. Verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me <laughs> from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So when the people said, don't let God speak to us anymore, God said, okay, I'll, I agree. I'll speak to you, Moses. You tell them the rest. But there will be a prophet one day who will be like you. Where I'm going to speak the words to him, he's going to speak the words to the people. Have we seen that prophet yet? Yep, let's go to John chapter 14. And what did God say in Deuteronomy 18? If they won't hear the words he speaks, God will require it of them. So John 14, first verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. So whose words does he speak then? Let's look at verses 23 and 24 of the same chapter. John 14, verses 23 and 24. Yeshua answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's 
who sent me. So he's saying, Deuteronomy 18, yeah, that was about me. And again, what does the Lord say if we will not hear Messiah's words? He will hold us accountable. Where, where's that coming from? Where's what coming from? What you're just saying right there. In Deuteronomy, what? Deuteronomy 18, we just read it a minute ago. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 19. Yes, I got it. You got it. In 23 and 24, Yeshua's using the term words. So that's a direct reference back to the commandments. Correct. You're exactly right. In Matthew 20, John 14, verses 23 and 24, Messiah did not come to set aside God's commandments and give new ones. He says very clearly. The commandments he speaks are not his, but the Father's. Therefore, can they conflict? No, because God does not change. Let's go back to Deuteronomy, chapter 4. We're up to verses 15 to 18. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 15 to 18. Take careful heed to yourselves, which means be careful, watch out. For you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image. Carved image refers to a graven image, want something to be worshipped. It doesn't mean you can't have a picture of your grandchildren. Unless you worship your grandchildren, then you're just stupid. <laughs> Don't make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of a male or female. How about the picture that everybody looks at and says, that's Jesus. Does that violate this? Yes. It absolutely does. The likeness of any animal that is on the earth, like a calf. Or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air. What's the one from South America? Coetzacoatl or something like that? Say it again, real loud. Thank you. That's that flying bird god that they have down in South America. Don't do that. Verse 18, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground or the likeness of any fish that's in the water beneath the earth means no images, no religious icons. Let's go back to Exodus 32. Let's go back to Exodus 32. Exodus 32, verses 1 to 6. Exodus 32, verses 1 to 6. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that, we shall, go, that shall go before us. What did they used to in Egypt? Gods that they could touch, that they could feel, that they could carry around. There was a God for everything, yeah. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up by the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. These people, every one of them, were at the foot of Mount Sinai. 
heard God's voice, saw the mountain on fire. And Aaron said, Then break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. It does not say, This is your God. It says, These are your gods, plural. It's not Aaron who says that. Notice, it's the people. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. That's the Tetragrammaton. No images, no religious icons. Back to verse 19. And then I want to talk for a few minutes. As if I haven't been talking for two hours now, I know. But verse 19. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven. We can't look at the clouds. No, it means to lift your eyes in worship. And when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. How many of the pagan idols of the peoples are based upon the sun, moon, and stars? Almost all of them. Generally, pagan idolatry from the time of the Tower of Babel is about sun worship. Worshiping the sun and the moon. How many people in here worship the sun or the moon? No, so let's talk about what pagan idolatry is today. I was taught growing up that if you watch a football game on Sunday afternoon, that's idolatry. Because Sunday, you're supposed to be in church, putting money in the offering, please. <laughs> Is watching a football on Sunday afternoon idolatry? No. Could be. Could be. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. But how about the statues of Mary with the deity symbol around her head and the candles burning at her feet and the people at her feet praying? Is that idolatry? That is idolatry. The Catholic Church says, no, it's not. But, number two, how about all the other icons in the Catholic Church, like the St. Christopher medals that you kiss and pray to whenever you feel uncomfortable or in danger, when you're praying to the saints, quote-unquote. What you've got to realize is, in Rome, in pagan Rome, all those statues you see of the saints around were all pagan idols. And when Rome went Christian, quote-unquote, they simply renamed them. And what was this pagan god became Paul, and this pagan god became Peter. God said, don't do that. Yes? You heard a thing the other day, 
I've heard of Day of the Dead. Oh, that's big down in Mexico. Okay. So last year at Candy School. Last year at Candy School. They set up a table at the front. They set up a table at the front. They put all the pictures of the dead. Put all the pictures of the dead. And so. And they called it an altar. And they called it an altar. And you go and pray to your ancestors. And they lit candles. Food, drink, they give food and drink offerings. And this was at her school. That's at her school. Is that pagan idolatry? Amen. That is idolatry. She's not supposed to read the Bible. <laughs> oh, you can't read the Bible, but we can. I know. Number four. <coughs> what about those pictures of Jesus, quote unquote? That's idolatry. Um. What about Christmas and Easter? Christmas and Easter are... They were right out of sun god worship. Fertility rites, sun god worship. But we Christianized them. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 12. God said, don't do that. Even says it doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what it means to God. Where do you see that at? Deuteronomy 12, 28. <clears throat> Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. It's what he sees that's important. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you're not ensnared to follow them after they're destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their God, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. So what they do to worship the pagan gods, don't you do that to worship the Lord. So the technical term is syncretism. To take that which is pagan and bless it and use it to worship the Lord, God said, don't you do that. It's like a man who's had an affair and broken it off and the wife's forgiven him but he puts a picture of the other woman over the bed and says but whenever I see that picture I'll only think of you honey <laughs> how many of you ladies out there think that that would be cool I don't see a single hand and we'll, we'll continue to celebrate your birthday but we'll do it on her birthday but I'll only think of you when we do it December 24th and 25th, were you here when I read the whole panoply of pagan gods that were supposedly born on the 24th and 25th of December? Was Messiah born in December? No. no. They were keeping the sheep in the fields at night. You can't do that in December. They would freeze to death. When you went to Israel? They took us to the shepherd's field. It was totally a Catholic but site, yeah. But even they told us there's no way. But even they told us there's no way. He could be born on December 
He could be born on December 25th. It was too cold. It was too cold. So even they said no way. Even they said no way. To be born in a heatless shack on December 25th in the mountains of Judea would mean a dead child and a dead mother. But the mere fact the scripture says the shepherds were keeping their flocks in the fields at night tell us it was not late December. If any of you have never seen pictures of Jerusalem in late December, let me know. I've got pictures. The snow's about hip deep. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, like, uh, like the St. Christopher's medals. What about the cross that we wear? Where does that come from? That's the Egyptian Ankh. It doesn't look like the kind of cross Messiah was crucified on. He was crucified where they nail through the wrist into a crossbar. You take that out to the stump of a tree. You drop the crossbar on it and nail the heels into the tree. You might think, well, didn't the Romans spend $500 to fashion this nice, beautiful cross? The answer is no. They crucified in every tree stump available. So if you were to look at a cross like Messiah was crucified on, it's a wooden crossbar dropped on the tree trunk is what it is. So the cross that women wear, and sometimes men wear too, it comes from the Egyptian symbol, Ankh. Okay, stretch out your two arms. Nail a piece of wood to those. Okay. And then take you out and drop it where that crossbar rests on the top of a tree stump. And then nail the ankles into the tree stump. That's what it was. Now, now you, you think it may be a stump on the ground level. No, the tree's been cut off. Up, See, I'm confused. Yeah, the tree That's stump, I'm thinking it's hot. Okay. Don't think five inches off the ground. <laughs> it's got to be tall enough to nail the ankles. Well, see, that's why I'm saying you're saying nail it to the tree. But on the movie, yeah. they did it with the thing laying on the ground. I know. <laughs> You've cut down a lot of trees. You cut them right there at belly level. Yeah. So it didn't even have to be a dead tree stump. It was whatever tree that had a stump that they could put the crossbar across. What about Sunday? Where does Sunday come from? Anybody hear the word sun in Sunday? Constantine was a worshiper of the invincible sun called Mithraism. And that's why he set aside all these commandments of God and replaced them with pagan celebrations of his gods. Like he misread that scripture in Malachi that says, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, and said, ah, Jesus was the sun god incarnate. Yeah. If, you, if you could have gone to Israel with me back in the 90s, before all the renovations in the church in Bethlehem, every group I took, and I used to take two groups a year, 
we would go in that church called the Church of the Nativity. And every group would look around and say, Wayne, why are all the lights sun god images? They were from the 4th century. The church was built by Constantine's mother, Queen Helena, and they were sun god worshipers. Okay, enough said. Got a few minutes left. Let's carry on. No worship of the sun, moon, and stars. So if you continue to carry on any of those traditions, like painting Easter eggs and decorating Christmas trees, or even if you call them Hanukkah bushes. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah, a lot of Jewish people don't put up Christmas trees. They put up Hanukkah bushes. Okay. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 20. <clears throat> but the Lord. See how the word Lord is spelled? That's the tetragrammaton, those four Hebrew letters, Yod-Heh-Vav-Hey. <coughs> if you turn to Romans chapter 10, that's what you see in Romans chapter 10. Verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth, it says the Lord Jesus, you see that? It's actually, the Lord is Yeshua. That word Lord is from the Tetragrammaton. So if you confess that Yeshua is the Lord from Genesis on, all the way through the Old Testament, you see the word the Lord more often than you see the word God. But it's very clear that the, the word is God. And believe me, all right, that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So you have to believe that he is the God from all creation. Back in Deuteronomy 4, <clears throat> verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people. Why was Egypt called an iron furnace? What was Pharaoh trying to do to the people? Our servitude to work them to death to exterminate them an inheritance as you are this day an inheritance is a permanent possession so that's what God wanted all those who came out of Egypt the physical descendants of Israel and the mixed multitude they all proclaimed their faith in God before they left Egypt so why did they all die in the Wilderness that were age 20 and above, except for Joshua and Caleb. They promised faith, but, but they did not actually have faith. They said they did. Where in the scripture does it tell us for sure that they didn't? That's Hebrews 3, the very end of Hebrews chapter 3. So let's turn over there. Hebrews chapter 3. <clears throat> Verses 18 and 19. Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 18 and 19. 
And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So what did their lack of obedience say to God? That they don't really believe. They said they had faith, but they didn't really. What does it say to God if you and I claim we have faith and we will not obey? Faith without works is dead. That's exactly what James is trying to get across. Without obedience to God, your declarations of faith are empty words. Back to Deuteronomy 4, we're up to verse 21. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me, me being Moses, for your sakes, and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan, that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan. But you shall cross over and possess that good land. Why is he telling them this? So they will pity him? No, so that they'll realize he has stopped the plagues on how many different occasions? Lots. When he would intervene on behalf of the people to God, he's not going to be there. So what happens if they turn away from God and bring God's wrath upon them? Oh well, that's right. So he's trying to get them to understand that if you truly have faith, you will obey God. Actually, isn't he being punished for unbelief? He's being punished for his disobedience slash unbelief. He got the same... He got momentarily discombobulated. He got so angry, he lost control of himself. And working with those people, you can surely understand. <laughs> but yeah. It's almost like he's saying, it's your fault I'm not going into the way. Exactly. I think he said that. It was for their sakes in the sense that I missed the opportunity to, to show you this He missed the opportunity to show them the picture and if God did not hold Moses responsible for disobedience, what would that teach the people? Yeah. Well, see, until just recently, I didn't quite understand what exactly Moses did wrong until Daniel and you brought it up in a, a class or something because he struck, I knew he struck it twice, but I never put that with Christ dying twice. Yep, it was a picture. The two together, and I, it made it so real. Yep. The priests on earth had to sacrifice the animals every day, but Messiah was to die once. Yep. So back to Deuteronomy 4, verse <clears throat> 23. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. Again, a carved image is something to be worshipped. It's not a picture of your grandchildren. How do we know that for sure? They labor in the temple courtyard, sat on what? On oxen or bulls. Now what if the people had gotten down and started worshipping those bulls? Well, we'd had a problem. Yeah. 
Verse 24. Verse 24. Oh, we're running out of time. We're not going to finish the chapter. But we've got to look at verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. I hear people all the time, oh, God is just love. God just loves everybody. He doesn't care what you do. He doesn't care how you sin. He's just a big old teddy bear. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. That's not a teddy bear. A jealous God. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Even the book of Hebrews says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Exodus 20 verses 4 and 5. Actually, I'm going to go through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands, that is, of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Is that an and or an or? That's an and. You cannot love the Lord without being obedient to his commandments. So in our Ten Commandments, we... So in our Ten Commandments, our Ten Words... We're commanded to not envy and be jealous. But our God's a jealous God? But our God is a jealous God. That is correct. It's reserved to him. That's for him to do. <laughs> That's his job. That's why he tells us over and over again, do not turn and worship the pagan gods. Let, let's look at what he's given us as a teaching point. Like a bridegroom and a bride. If your bridegroom turns and chases other women, then how do you feel? That's what God gives us as an example. When you turn away from God and embrace the pagan idols, it's just like a bride who's been jilted by the bridegroom. So this, like, so the bride can is, be is the wording, is it more for our understanding that we understand... It's that we're not understanding the word jealous in your first instance being correctly. It's not that we can't be jealous when our spouse is cheating. It's got other meanings. When we get to that verse, we'll look at it in particular. Um, Exodus 34. Oh, oh. I'm going to have to hurry. Is there not a 34? There is. Okay. Just the way she said 34 was like, there isn't one. Verse 14. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So that's the name for God, is Jealous. Could that not be understood to mean that he wants our all not, not yes, personal. he wants you to worship him and him alone. That's right. exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. 
we could look at, just write down the following. Deuteronomy 5.9. Deuteronomy 6.15. Deuteronomy 32.16. Deuteronomy 32.21. Joshua 24.19. Joshua 24, 19, Ezekiel 8, verse 3, Ezekiel 36, verses 5 to 6, Ezekiel 39, verse 25, and I could keep going, but all these are of the same tenure, the Lord our God is a jealous God, which means that if you're worshiping a God other than him, you're going to make him angry. And you don't want to make God angry. Let's see, I have t a couple red things out here. Let's see. Don't know what you're looking for, Sam. See so Jeremiah fifty two twenty okay. You had made a reference about images being made in the uh, that you're talking about uh, graven images and whether or not you could just you know make an apple or make a uh, make an uh, make a um, a sculpture of an animal. Yeah. And I think you referenced that showing that as long as you're not worshiping. Correct. Right. Correct. If you've got a, a clay apple that your daughter made in, in class, just don't worship it. Okay. With that, we've come to the end of our time. We will not pick up next week in Deuteronomy chapter 4 because we have a bar mitzvah next Saturday. But we will pick up the week after in Deuteronomy 4 wherever we left off.